relationships and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. You guys, welcome to episode 175, how the fuck did that happen, of Dunzo. It is me, Nick Nolte. I'm in a real Nick Nolte kind of mood tonight. <laughs> real Nick Nolte's mugshot kind of mood. Um, It's me, Troy McEady. I'm very, very excited about this, you guys. This is it. This is the finale of our Christina Aguilera journey. Who would have ever thought that, like, you know, 20 episodes later, this is where we would end up. But it does feel like the right time to close this chapter. I can't imagine going another episode with this. I think we're, we'll perfectly be able to sort of tie everything together today. Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm a, I get a little sad when I finish these. I get a little sad because you spend so much time researching somebody and you inevitably can't help but like understand them as a person more, right? And it's just been so interesting. I know that I've said this a million times, but it's like, Christina Aguilera has always meant something so specific in my life for like 20 years. And now she means something totally different. And that is a really weird thing to come to terms with because for one thing, I've had to face the fact that whether I like it or not, Christina has been a major, major part of my life for as long as I can remember at this point. And, you know, for better or for worse, there's been ups and downs and highs and lows and I've had moments of being really inspired by her and loving the work that she puts out and, you know, put, putting her on this, like, pedestal. I've had moments of being revolted by her. I've really, like, we've been through so much together, really, at the end of the day. Um, but I'm ex- I am excited to close this chapter. I'm going to be doing one more bonus episode. We are going to be doing a bionic bonus. I'm going to be doing that with Alex. Um, so if you enjoyed my previous uh bonus episode with alex and you'll love this because i have so many thoughts about bionic and as you guys know that is um that's been probably the biggest takeaway i knew all of listen when it comes to the genie in a bottle era and dirty and all of that stuff like i knew in my spirit how i felt about that but i didn't know how i was supposed to feel about bionic because i didn't know anything about it And now I know more about it than Christina herself. (laughs) I know more about it than Christina herself. And uh, I can't help but stand. I mean, honestly, it truly was ahead of its time. But we are beyond that. We are tying things up today. Today, actually, ironically, may be the most dramatic episode because we'll get to it. We'll talk. Let's just like, let's just fucking dive in. Let's do this. I actually want to start this week by jumping into 2011 specifically which I've come to realize was a real low point for Christina. Um, I would say that she had her own sort of silent, but not really version of 2007. And obviously not to the same extreme, but her life was sort of crumbling around her. And this is where we see a shift in like music sales for her. She had gone from being an artist who released albums that people talked about as like, you know, one big solid piece of work to somebody who was more known for like, hit or miss singles and when I say hit or miss I literally mean like massive like song of the summer huge big giant hits or songs that people didn't know existed 
We're also finally going to be talking about Christina's battle with alcohol. I know that I've mentioned it a bunch of times in previous episodes, especially at the beginning, but this is really, I mean, this almost the entire episode is dedicated to the rehab stuff and the headlines and just the messiness of the public realizing that Christina Aguilera had had a drinking problem for a long time. Christina's shitty 2011 actually starts right at the beginning of the year and it it literally is shit from the first day up to the last. In January of 2011, it was announced that Christina Aguilera would be singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. This was obviously a really big deal for her, not only because the Steelers were playing and Christina is very famously from Pittsburgh and all of a sudden she was a Steelers fan or something, but also because she had ended 2010 with this critically panned film and an album that didn't perform well. So this was a big deal. I have a quote from a 2011 MTV News article. It says, who will be singing the national anthem before the sure-to-be epic battle between two of the NFL's most iconic franchises? Fox and the NFL announced on Monday, January 24th, that the honors will go to none other than Christina Aguilera. Though the diva failed to launch a tour in support of her poorly received studio album, Bionic, and her big screen debut in Burlesque quickly faded, Aguilera will take to one of the biggest media stages there is when she helps open the big game at Cowboys Stadium in North Texas prior to kickoff. I've been performing the national anthem since I was seven years old, and I must say the Super Bowl is a dream come true. I'm really excited to be part of such an iconic event. She breaks a string of American Idol divas during the honors, which have been performed by Carrie Underwood, Jennifer Hudson, and Jordan Sparks over the past three years. It also puts her into an elite group of stars who have recently taken on the difficult tune in the past, which includes Beyonce, Billy Joel, Aretha Franklin, the Dixie Chicks, Mariah Carey, and Aguilera's burlesque co-star Cher, who did it in 1999. Now, you guys already know where I'm going with this. (laughs) Unless you live under a rock, and that's okay because that's why I'm here, Christina forgot the lyrics to the national anthem on live television. She flubbed it, as they put it. And the crazy thing about performing the national anthem is that it always has the potential to become, you know, this big milestone moment in a singer's career, especially at the Super Bowl, like very specifically, right? We've obviously talked at length about Whitney's performance, which kind of set the bar. Um, You also have people like Mariah Carey, Lady Gaga, uh, Kelly Clarkson, Beyonce, like they said, the Dixie Chicks. I mean... These are people who have made the national anthem a sort of like bookmark in their career legacy. But then you have the singers, an occasional female comic, who butcher the national anthem so poorly that it becomes infamous. And this can have a major, giant impact on your career. When you look at people like, hi, Fergie. Shaka Khan has an iconically terrible national anthem on YouTube. Michael Bolton's is cringe-inducing. R. Kelly's is insane. Obviously, Roseanne is almost like the Whitney of bad uh, national anthems. Actually, I don't know. I would say Roseanne and Fergie are pretty neck and neck. Fergie's was at least like... Fergie's is iconic because it's so insane. Where Roseanne's is just disrespectful and just bad, you know? Like... Fergie's is at least fun. Like, Fergie's is really fun to watch. But when I did the Roseanne episode a million years ago, we talked about the fact that brands literally were pulling their ads from her time slot on ABC because the country was so upset with her 
for disgracing the national anthem. People, for whatever reason, see you not hitting the notes of the national anthem correctly or forgetting the words as a direct disrespect of the entire country, for whatever reason. And unfortunately, this is something that Christina will live with for the rest of her life. She's always guaranteed to be included in those top 10 lists of the worst Super Bowl performances of all time. Can I just tell you as a side note, the part of Fergie's national anthem that like for some reason is always in my mind. The whole thing is batshit crazy. But the moment to me that is honestly the most insane, and I know that it's like, how do you pick a moment? But it's where she says, like, it's just such a specific, like, in what world as a singer, as a person who sings live on stage for your entire life, would that make any sense? It's insane. What I really need in 2021 is for Fergie and Jesse J to give us the collaboration that none of us asked for, where they just give theatrics and overblown vocals the entire time. Like I want a three minute track of Fergie and Jesse and Jesse J over singing each other. I like actually I'm begging for it. I found this article from MTV News from 2011. It's a follow up to Christina's performance. And I found it really interesting because they obviously wrote about this in a way that leads me to believe they couldn't have possibly predicted how big the story would become. It says, as football fans gathered on Sunday night, February 6th, to watch the matchup between the Pittsburgh Steelers and Green Bay Packers at Super Bowl whatever, Christina Aguilera took to the stage to perform the national anthem. Wearing her hair down and donning a black suit, Aguilera belted out the song as both the terrible towels and cheese heads counted down the moments until the big game. The Grammy winner got the crowd hyped as she hit the crescendos of the song while celebrities and players looked on. Many of the players nervously looked up to the sky, holding back tears as they prepared to take the field. Although her voice never wavered as she paid tribute to the country in song, Aguilera did briefly flub the lyrics, but she handled it like a pro, rendering the mistake barely noticeable. Little did MTV News know the entire world would be talking about this the next day, um, to the point that she ended up having to issue a public apology where she said, I got so caught up in the moment of the song that I lost my place. I can only hope that everyone could feel my love for this country and that the true spirit of its anthem still came through. I'm in the camp of if somebody fucks up the national anthem or whatever at the Super Bowl, start over. Like, what's the harm? Give Adele. Literally stop and give a charming giggle and just start over. Who cares? Turn around Tell the band to cut it, face the crowd, tell them that you fucked up, and just start from the beginning. Do you know how charming that would be? To add insult to injury, we also need to discuss the fact that Christina and her husband slash father of her child, Jordan Bratman, were filing for divorce. And we're kind of like jumping back and forth. I don't think I mentioned that at the top of the episode. My notes are sort of like scattered a little bit. Um, we're going to be going back and forth, but obviously I'll take you by the tip of your pinky and, and guide you ever so delicately through. In October of the previous year, TMZ reported that Christina cited, oh, hello, irreconcilable differences. Hello, old friend. And that um, there was some alleged infidelity. There was some cheating going on, some cheating happening in the temple. Um, and the interesting twist was that Christina was apparently the one who cheated. More on that later. Christina actually gave this really candid interview to People Magazine 
about the divorce in December of that same year, um, and I'm going to read a little bit of that. Looking at photos of herself from August, half-heartedly sipping champagne with Jordan Bratman on a yacht, Christina Aguilera has the same reaction the rest of the world did. You could definitely tell we were unhappy, she says. In fact, the pop star's nearly five-year marriage had been in rough waters for months before. Problems surfaced when Aguilera, whose own parents divorced when she was seven, returned from filming the musical Burlesque in March. When I got back into my normal life, it didn't feel quite right, she says, adding that the couple who wed in an estimated $2 million bash in California's Napa Valley tried to make it work for their son, Max. Now the Grammy winner who turns 30 on December 18th is opening up about the year of heartache that led to her agonizing choice to file for divorce and break up her family. When you're unhappy in a marriage, your children are the ones to suffer, she says. That's the last thing I wanted for my son. Things were so unhealthy and unhappy for both Jordan and me. I knew that I had to end it. It wasn't good for us, and it wasn't good for Max to witness our arguments. Children, <laughs> children can feel everything when they're when. Okay, all right, let's calm down. Children can feel everything when things aren't right in the home. I had bouts of extreme anxiety. I really didn't want to hurt Jordan, and I felt torn about splitting up our family. We were great the first year after Max was born. Jordan was an amazing dad. He was the first to change Max's diapers. Then things turned. I was nurturing Max and I felt independent of our relationship. Then I went right into filming Burlesque in fall of 2009. As you, mu- <laughs> oh my God, is this, this is one of those days. As a musician, you're with your posse all the time. And during the movie, I removed myself from mine. So I had an independence that I had never felt before. I was growing leaps and bounds daily. I went from being a girl to a woman. When I finished filming, I didn't feel right in my own shoes at home. I had a lot of things that were stirring inside of me and I felt like they were being suppressed. We tried to work on our marriage and figure out a common ground, but the problems were so obvious. I feel like I've had this moment in every Christina episode so far, but in this part of the article, she goes on to talk about her unstable childhood and the reason that she fell in love with Jordan um, because she saw him as a good dad, even before they had kids together. She could tell that he was going to be a really good father. Um, She also talks about the fact that her parents stayed together for their kids which was a horrible decision because all they did was watch them fight and watched her mom get abused and all that stuff. For Max's sake, we keep in communication and try to be as civil as possible, but there's some pain. There's discomfort when we're together, but I know in my heart we'll find some sort of ground where where we eventually laugh together again and we'll be okay for Max. I keep my tears away from my son. I don't want him to see or feel anything that I'm going through. She also sort of passively admits that she's in a new relationship with a man named Matt Rettler, um, who she was photographed with a lot around this time. Um, Matt was a set assistant on Burlesque. And uh, yeah, she said, Matthew was a very special person. We had a really strong friendship on the movie. He's the kind of person you could spend hours on the phone talking to and all of a sudden it's daylight. Once I filed for divorce, we started dating. <laughs> I'm not trying to jump into anything. I just left a fi- I just left a five-year marriage. I'm taking it slow and trying to be happy. Come on. We know what that means. In celebrity terms, we know what that means. Every single person listening to this knows what that means. And Christina's being smart. She's getting ahead of the story. She's getting ahead of what the story could be. There are these rumors that there was infidelity. Um, it's being talked about that when they filed for divorce, there were like cheating things in the the documents so she's getting ahead of it like this is honestly like really really good PR but it's so obvious what is happening right now she then did an interview with W magazine where she did fully admit to cheating um she said at one time or another Aguilera told me hinting at affairs on both sides we were both not angels 
It got to the point where our life at home was reminding me of my own childhood. I will not have my son grow up in a tension-filled house. I knew that there would be a negative reaction in the press to my divorce, but I am not going to live my life because of something someone else might say. That goes against everything I sing on my records. I have to be myself. Can we talk about this for a second? Because this is honestly one of my favorite celebrity tropes. Um, celebrities do this thing where, like, if a story is out already, right, and they need to get ahead of it, they do this thing where they open up and they say something that feels really candid because it distracts the public from what's actually going on. It reminds me of when all of the stuff was going on with Harvey Weinstein. And I talked about this on the podcast. Gwyneth Paltrow did an interview with Howard Stern where, and mind you, Gwyneth Paltrow never does these like candid interviews where she talks, you know, about her feelings about past relationships and stuff. She used to, but she hasn't in a really long time. But Gwyneth also knows that she's got to get ahead of this Harvey Weinstein story because she is the princess of Miramax, right? So she goes on Howard Stern and tells this story about how Brad Pitt pushed uh, Harvey Weinstein up against a wall and everybody lost their shit. Oh my God. Did you hear the story about how Brad Pitt beat up Harvey Weinstein for Gwyneth? And it's like, all she had to do was go on the radio, throw us a gristled bone and we ran to it like fucking hyenas. You know what I mean? And we're completely distracted from the bigger picture, which was that Gwyneth Paltrow was the princess of Miramax Films. That's all I'm saying. Now, with the mention of the Star Spangled Banner, the divorce, and her meeting Matt Rutler, there's one integral part of this puzzle that we are missing, and it is, we are finally talking about it, Christina Aguilera's very public arrest. In March of 2011, Christina Aguilera was arrested for public intoxication after the police pulled her over Apparently, her boyfriend was driving her car. He was under the influence. He was one point over. He was charged with driving under the influence, and Christina was held but then released. Um, And I have a quote here from the New York Post. It says, She was not belligerent in any way, a spokesperson for the L.A. County Sheriff's Office told the New York Post. When police stopped the car around 2.45 a.m., Aguilera was a public safety issue. Steve Whitmore explained, When she got out of the car, she couldn't stand. She didn't know where she was, and she didn't know her own address. Given her condition, the arrest was routine. She was not capable of taking care of herself. This all took place after Christina and Matt had dinner at Mario Batali's restaurant in L.A. Um, TMZ reported that a patron at the restaurant saw that Christina Aguilera was there, so he asked—this is amazing—he asked the bartender to send her a drink. But then the server came over to this guy and was like, look— She's fucking wasted. She's already had two full bottles of wine to herself. So could you send her something else? And the guy sent her a dessert instead. The server didn't want her drinking anymore. And around the same time as her arrest, these reports started to surface that Christina's drinking had become completely out of control. All of a sudden, these concerned sources and quotes were popping up all over the place on every news site. Now, this is a really big part of the story. Every news site, TMZ, Us Weekly, like every single celebrity media outlet, there was a concerned source reporting that Christina Aguilera needed to get help. You've got to remember that. This is a quote from 2011 from Us Weekly. This is one of the 
concerned source quotes. It says, her drinking is out of control, an Aguilera confidant recently told Us Weekly. She's a total mess. The burlesque star who famously flubbed the national anthem at the Super Bowl and nearly fell off stage at the Grammys one week later, we'll talk, has been unraveling in the wake of her split from husband Jordan Bat- Bratman in a series of career disappointments. Among Aguilera's alcohol-fueled antics, a boozy international press tour for burlesque in December, every city they went to, London, Tokyo, Christina was pretty drunk, and Matt had to carry her home, a Rutler source says. The inebriated singer and her mom, Shelly Kearns, got into a heated fight in her $11.5 million home on New Year's Eve. Christina was so wasted before her guests arrived that her mom told her to lie down and sober up. Another insider says, Christina, Christina then yelled, who do you think you are? It was crazy. At LA Club The Dime on January 25th, Aguilera was downing vodka sodas and crying uncontrollably about tension with her ex, Bratman. So once these reports started to come out, it was a snowball of people essentially outing her for her drinking. And TMZ reported that her friends and management had been pleading for her to go to rehab for like months. They also claimed that when she was married to Jordan, she was able to keep it a secret and that they had all of these issues in their marriage regarding her drinking. So it was much more about her being an alcoholic and less about um, her going to the, the set of burlesque girl and leaving a woman. Um, I'm sure that all that stuff had something to do with it. But at the end of the day, Christina was a raging drunk at this point. It was also reported that Jordan brought her drinking up in court when they discussed uh, custody. Now, I do want to really quickly mention before we move on that Christina did, as previously stated, she was performing at the Grammy. She was doing a tribute and she like stumbled almost off the stage. I didn't revisit that clip, but I definitely remember it on YouTube. I remember it having like a viral moment in 2011 that she can kind of be seen. There's all these different angles of it, depending on which clip you watch. And she can be seen sort of stumbling off the stage. Now, do you remember a few episodes ago when I teased the story of Christina passing out at Jeremy Renner's house? That finally is happening. Like, it's, it's, we're finally doing that. And some of you may know this story already. Some of you may not. Some of you maybe forgot that this was a thing that happened. But your Uncle Troy is here to remind you. Now, we've already discussed the fact that Christina had become known for not only crashing parties that she wasn't invited to, but also getting so wasted at these Hollywood events that she would have to be carried out by people. And the worst thing about it was that those people would tell. Like sometimes the party, the the party haver, Mariah Carey would tell and be like, she wasn't invited, she showed up, she drank from the ice luge and then we had to kick her out. So in early 2011, Christina showed up uninvited to Jeremy Renner's 40th birthday party. Apparently, she got so wasted that her boyfriend had to carry her upstairs to a bedroom. He, I don't know if he knew this or not. I don't know if there are any photos in Jeremy's bedroom alluding to it being his bedroom. Um, But he brought Christina to Jeremy's bed. Mind you, Jeremy Renner didn't know Christina Aguilera. (laughs) Not only was she not invited to this party, he didn't even know her. So he went upstairs to his bedroom (laughs) to get in his bed. And Christina Aguilera Aguilera was laying under his covers and her boyfriend was in there wasted off of his ass. Because the thing about these two is that they, they both like to party together. 
And a lot of people in her life, according to uh, concerned sources, would say that he was like a bad luck charm for her, that the minute she met him, her life sort of went to shit. Um, even though she was madly in love and head over heels and they had a child together, they've never broken up. But it is weird. It's like the minute he came into her life, like everything just started to spiral out of control. And the fact that he got arrested with her um, isn't a great look. But anyway, Jeremy Renner comes upstairs. He wants to get in bed, pulls the covers. Christina Aguilera is underneath his covers. I'm assuming they were silk. For some reason, I feel like Jeremy Renner has silk sheets. Let's not even go there. Um, And her boyfriend is in there rubbing her back and like nursing her to bed. And he's like, can you get the fuck out of my room by chance? And he uh, he had to kick them out. And I, I'm, her boyfriend carried her out of his house. Now, as I mentioned before, these celebrities who were victim to Christina showing up in their house always talked about it. Like, personally, I feel like in Hollywood, there's like a secret code where when things like this happen, you don't talk about it. You know what I mean? Like when so-and-so shows up and they're too drunk or when Heather Locklear is, is stumbling around in your backyard or whatever your situation is. You just don't talk about it. You know what I mean? Hairdressers talk about it and nail people talk about it and wardrobe people talk about it. But like, you know, I don't think Jennifer Lopez calls us weekly to be like, you'll never believe what I saw Cindy Lauper doing, you know, backstage at whatever benefit. You know what I mean? But with Christina, it feels like they all talk about it. And Jeremy had no problem talking about this. In fact, he told the story to several people at a Golden Globes party, including people who, like, worked for the press. This is a quote that Rolling Stone reported. I don't know how true this quote is, and Jeremy released a statement. I feel like I, like, have to say this. Jeremy released a statement saying that uh, he didn't mind her being in his house and that it was all made up or whatever. Um, But there were multiple people from different sources that said, like, we heard him talking about it. Like, that's how the story lives in infamy. Anyway, it says, someone comes and tells me that she's in my room. He told Powell's at the January 16th affair. I run up and open the door and I'm like, um, hi, what are you doing? She just starts slurring. Her boyfriend was rubbing her back. Who comes to someone's birthday party that they don't even know and gets in their bed? My parents were at that party. Another source says Christina was messy at the party. She acted a fool. (laughs) That was me as the source, by the way. Christina was messy at the party. She acted a fool. Her boyfriend was was sorry. Her boyfriend was her boyfriend was shushing her and telling her that she needed to go to sleep. Um, so okay. Sorry for the noticeable change in my voice. Um, I just started choking on a cough drop. I was laughing and uh, the cough drop shot to the back of my throat. (laughs) So I don't know. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, um, (laughs) page six also reported that Christina was threatening to fire people who suggested she get help. And it had become sort of common knowledge at this point that Christina was firing people left and right on her team. Nobody knew who was going to be the next to go. Nobody felt safe. She was letting people go that had been with her for a long time. It says, um, they wanted to talk to her carefully about the issue, but they're not going to because they're, they're afraid after she threatened to fire them. A source close to Aguilera's camp told us her people desperately want this to come out so she will get help. Aguilera has a history of axing her staff. After giving birth to her son, Max, in 2008, she reportedly threw a tantrum and fired her day-to-day manager, one of her assistants, and her public, her bu- bleh, 
what? Today is one of those days. I just have to get over it. And her publicity firm, BWR, because she was displeased with a photo spread of her that ran in People magazine. Um, now, I remember earlier I said that all of these concerned sources started popping up all over the place. It was interesting to read in this page six thing that um, her people, it says that her people want the story to come out. Like her people want the public to know what they've basically been hiding for her for years. So it's ironic that all of the sources like from People Magazine, TMZ, Us Weekly, OK Magazine, whatever, they're all concerned sources, all of them. Um, I mean, it would lead me to believe that they're all people that work for her. Ironically, and I promise I didn't plan this. Remember last week when I was saying that the way that I typically determine the validity of a blind item is based on how much smoke there is surrounding it? Meaning it's easy to determine if a blind item is real, if it aligns with a bunch of other similar reports from other news sites. And in December of 2011, a Crazy Days and Nights article came out about Christina that went viral. This article ended up spreading like wildfire throughout mainstream news sites. It says the former A-list female singer has had a very crazy year and checked herself into rehab on three separate occasions this month. She's also checked herself out the very next day each time because she's afraid she will lose her current job if her current bosses find out. Speaking of current jobs, let's talk about Christina Aguilera joining the cast of The Voice. Again, we are jumping around. This episode is not completely linear. We're kind of like jumping back and forth. In March of 2011, it was reported that Christina would be a judge on The Voice. She said, I'm so excited to be a part of such a wonderful project that celebrates music and the talent behind it. Aguilera said in a statement, to be given the opportunity to help shape new artists' careers and mentor them to see their dreams come true into fruition is a task I welcome with open arms. I am so happy to be working with fellow Grammy Award winners Adam and CeeLo as I feel there is so much we can all bring to The Voice. Christina joining The Voice was one of those very transparent celebrity moments where the public was obviously very fully aware of why Christina Aguilera was doing this. The same reason any celebrity joins the judging panel of a singing competition show to rehab their careers. And it's super smart. I'm not like hating or trying to shade her. You get a giant, a massive, ridiculous, not deserving paycheck. I mean, let's be honest. An absurd amount of money. You have a steady gig that's guaranteed for at least that year. And usually when people sign on to do this, they do like a multiple season contract. So that's a steady guaranteed job, a lot of money, a show that has really big ratings or is guaranteed to have big ratings. I want to let you guys in on a little secret about me. <laughs> you are talking to the king of sleep issues. For as long as I can remember, I've been the person who lays in bed for hours staring up at the ceiling, counting how many hours of sleep I can still squeeze out of the night if I just fall asleep within the next six minutes. And all that has changed now that Helix has made its way into my life. Helix has a sleep quiz that takes literally two minutes and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect matches for you. Why waste your money on a mattress made for somebody else when with Helix, you get a mattress that is guaranteed to be perfect for you. Helix also understands that every person is unique, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you're a hot sleeper and they have Helix Plus, which is a mattress for the plus size folks. 
I took the Helix Please and matched with the Helix Plus mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I personally sleep on my side. You know that meme of Marge Simpson staring at her bed and there's an imprint of Homer's body in the mattress? That's essentially what I was working with before Helix. My mattress was old, sunken in, and unsavory. So if you are in the market for a mattress, go ahead and take the quiz, order the mattress that you're matched to, it comes right to your door, the shipping is free, and you'll never need to go to a mattress store ever again. Helix is awesome, but you don't have to take my word for it, gal. It was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Go to helixsleep.com slash dunzo, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, I promise you. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't like it, but you will, let's be honest. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dunzo. You have visibility to the living rooms of millions and millions of people on a weekly, sometimes more than weekly. Like when American Idol starts, it's on, I swear, like fucking six days a week for three hours a day. That's a lot of time in people's living rooms. And you get free reign to promote, perform, and sell all of your shit as much as you want. If you think about it, this has been so incredibly lucrative for so many famous people. Look at American Idol and what it did for Jennifer Lopez. Are you kidding me? When Jennifer Lopez first, let's like go back for a second and like take inauguration Jennifer Lopez and performing at New Year's Eve at Rockin' Ryan Seacrest or whatever out of our minds. Let's revisit the fact that when Jennifer Lopez took on the job of judge of American Idol, she was not working. Like her career was in a super, super low point. She wasn't really working at all. She didn't have music out. And if she did, it wasn't performing well at all. And then she went on American Idol. She won over the hearts of the American people and people fell in love with her again. When Jennifer Lopez did American Idol, it was as if people fell in love with her all over again like they did 20 years ago same thing with Gwen look at Gwen's career Gwen Stefani wasn't working for like what 10 years or something before the voice and look at her career it's it's wild and if it doesn't go as planned let's say it doesn't turn out so great like um you know like a Mariah Carey situation it's still a big huge massive fucking paycheck for sitting in a chair and telling teenagers they need to, like, find their tone. I mean, it's really a shit ton of money to do a whole lot of nothing. And it beats touring all over the fucking world. And to be honest, Christina Aguilera was no exception to the rule. Like, the show was immediately lucrative for her. As we all know, during the first season, she was featured on a little ditty you may have heard back in 2000-whatever called Moves Like Jagger with Maroon 5. It sold 7 million copies and was the song of a summer. And, you know, that wouldn't have happened. I mean, she had just come from the lowest point of her career. A movie that bombed, an album that did terribly. She goes on The Voice and then she's number one on Billboard and has the song of the summer. But of course, what would a Christina Aguilera gig be without a little drama <laughs> from our Christinta? 
there were immediate reports that Christina was unprofessional. She was the unprofessional diva. During filming, it was reported that she wasn't getting along with the other judges. And there was always some sort of news circulating of fights between she and Adam specifically, especially during the second season. In May of 2012, Radar Online reported a fight between Christine and Adam that derailed filming and was confirmed, which we'll talk about. Um, but according to a source, Christina found out that Adam planned to have his finalist, Tony Luca, sing 99 Problems by Jay-Z, in which he'll sing, I've got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. The source explains Adam and Tony wanted to call Christina out as a bitch, but make it very clear that she's not a problem for Tony. It was completely aimed at her. Uh, it was Adam's idea, but Tony absolutely loved it. Christina thought it was ridiculous. She was highly offended, the source explains. It ended up that NBC told Adam to change bitch in the song lyrics to chick, but Adam, 33, would not relent, arguing that changing the song completely would ruin it and he wouldn't do that to Tony. The source explained he said changing the song would be a death sentence. So Adam, furious at Christina, blew up at her during Coach's rehearsal for Free Your Mind. Adam went right up to Christina and said, you are the biggest fucking cunt. And sources said, obviously, Christina was appalled and hissed that Adam should be fired. She's sick of being treated this way. Christina is so sick of Adam being looked at as the golden boy of the show. If America only knew how disgusting he was, they would be appalled. Adam's outburst led to a halt in production rehearsals. Adam wouldn't do anything until this got figured out. The source revealed he's being incredibly immature, locking himself in his trailer. Adam put the whole set in a frenzy. By midday, it wasn't even confirmed that Adam would be going through with the coach's performance. It was really bad. I also read on Reality T that the source who spoke to Radar about all of this going on had obviously come from Christina's camp because the article is so um, hilariously pro-Christina. And this all ended up being confirmed by CeeLo, who told Us Weekly that um, neither Christina or Adam had come to him personally to talk about their problems, but that he wanted them to deal with it because it was ruining the integrity of the show and it was affecting the contestants. Now, since we're on the topic of The Voice, we obviously can't have this discussion and ignore and just ignore the fact that Christina was publicly reunited with Lady Gaga during her time on the show. And as much as it embarrasses me to say, I don't think I really understood the magnitude of that performance until doing research for these episodes, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I knew that it was iconic, but I didn't put it together in the way that I guess it deserved to be put together, if that makes sense. I just, I, it, it didn't add up correctly to me. I just thought it was like a fun silly thing you know what I mean but actually like it has so much meaning behind it and I just I rewatched it after finishing my notes and I was like fuck that was a performance that was an entire decade in the making and it actually has so much meaning Christina spent six seasons on the show and since then she's been pretty vocal about how trapped she felt in her contract and you know she's talked about how you know after the show was over actually I think she said that when she signed her contract, she very quickly realized that they had basically tricked her because what they told her the show would be didn't end up being what it was at all. In 2018, she told the Chicago Tribune, you realize it's not about music, she said. It's about making good TV moments and massaging a story. 
I didn't want to get into this business to be a television show host and to be given all these rules, especially as a female. You can't wear this. You can't say that. I would find myself on the show desperately trying to express myself through clothes or makeup or hair. It was the only outlet I had. Adam Levine was also really vocal after he left The Voice about his um, his criticisms of the show, specifically in reference to the way they treat the talent. In 2015, he told Howard Stern, when the baton is passed post-Voice, there's some problems. People take over after we do this great job of building these people up on the show. There's some real issues there. The show ends and they're like, okay, you don't matter anymore. This is how it feels to be on the other end. I don't understand why they don't care. That's what drives me absolutely bonkers. And then it makes me feel defeated on my end because there's not really much I can do. You know, I've thought about this before. I haven't watched The Voice in a long time. I used to, I've never watched it religiously, but I did used to kind of like dip in and out of it. And I have to say, I feel like of all the shows, when you think of America's Got Talent and well, I don't even know if I would include America's Got Talent. Uh, that's like, if you include like The Voice and American Idol and X Factor and stuff, of all the shows, The Voice has the least amount of like, I, I don't, I can't name a single person who's come from The Voice and been successful. Like in 10 years, I literally, and that could be my fault. There could be somebody that you're screaming at me right now that you're like, duh, hello. But I literally cannot think of a single person who's been like number one on the charts because they won The Voice. Now, X Factor, of course you can, and American Idol, duh, but not The Voice. I actually want to retract that statement because I don't watch The Voice regularly enough to know if that's true. I just don't know any of those people to be household names. Like, obviously we know who fucking One Direction is. We know who Fifth Harmony is. We know who Jennifer Hudson is and we know who Fantasia is and Kelly Clarkson. I don't just like know people from the voice off the tip of my tongue. In September of 2012, she released Your Body, which would be the first song from her comeback album, Lotus. And the big headline surrounding the song was that she was going to be working with Max Martin. And this was her first time in 10 years working with Max Martin, which is incredibly ironic for obvious reason. People, of course, had questions. (laughs) because this is a girl who has spent the better part of 15 years trying to separate herself from Britney Spears and the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC or whatever. And then she is, her big comeback song is with the guy that they're known for working with. In 2012, she told Billboard, Max is legendary in the business. He's known about me, but we haven't crossed paths. I think when I came in, you heard his name with Backstreet Boys, NSYNC and Britney. And those records were the kind I wanted to stay away from. If you look at what I did in the past after my debut, I always try to do things that will challenge me and challenge my listener. Could this have worked 10 years ago? I'm not sure. It's taken us a decade in the same business and watching each other from a distance. So for us to now come together and respect each other's work ethic and how we like to be heard and making a marriage out of it, I think your body is the best culmination of that. As a complete side note, do you guys remember when this song leaked on the internet and how big of a deal that was? That was like, I would say Perez Hilton's like final days. And this song leaked on his website. It was the demo. And in the demo, it was her saying, all I want to do is fuck your body. Do you remember that? I just remember that being a thing. Like in my mind, that was a really big deal. And I feel like clubs like played the demo. For some reason, I just remember it being played at like gay bars. I could also be making that up. Like I could have dreamt it. 
I have to ask Alex the next time we we record together. Alex Hurst, hi. <laughs> Can you tell me? Actually, just comment in on the Instagram post for this episode. Is it true that this song not only leaked but also played like to the public out places? Am I am I making that up? I know that I definitely remember a lot of buzz surrounding the song, and I remember people really liking it. And I remember feeling like there was a lot of um, a lot of promise, like, oh my God, Christina, you know, this was like a real slumpy period in her music career. And it was like, holy shit, Christina just released a really good single. This means we may get a good album. <laughs> Unfortunately, this was just about the only thing that people liked about the Lotus album. Um, I have a Billboard quote from 2012. This was a review of the album. It says, this album represents a celebration of an... Oh, actually, no, I lied. This is a Christina quote. She said, the album represents a celebration of a new me. And to me, the lotus has always represented this unbreakable flower that withstands any harsh weather conditions in its surroundings, that withstands time and remains beautiful and strong throughout the years. Once I could start writing my own songs, beginning with Stripped, I tried to infuse as much as I could to promote strength and inspire people with that message. And now I'm at a place at 31 where the last time I felt that way was at 21 with Stripped. And I had a lot to say and a lot to express. She released a second single from the album called Just a Fool that I've never heard with Blake Shelton um, that didn't perform nearly as well. It debuted at number 92 on the Billboard and it peaked at 71. And the really interesting thing about revisiting Christina's entire discography is that you can literally see the exact moment when the record industry changes and it goes from album sales being really important to then singles being the only thing that really matters because people stopped buying albums. And Christina Aguilera has never been a pop star whose songs premiere all the time at number one on Billboard. Like in the vein of somebody like a Mariah Carey who's known for having like a record number of number ones. Like that was never really Christina's gig. And 10 years prior to this, that didn't matter because she would release these albums that were, you know, people bought albums and they listened to the whole album as a solid piece of work. It wasn't a bunch of like radio friendly hits that people could download and put on like a workout playlist. I actually found this MTV News article from 2012 that better expresses what I'm trying to say. It says, Christina Aguilera has only had three solo number ones on the Billboard Hot 100 and two of them came during the Clinton administration. Her fourth was Lady Marmalade, a song also featuring Pink, Maya, and Lil' Kim. And her fifth was Moves Like Jagger, a Maroon 5 song in which she receives a feature credit. Since 2002, she's only had three singles land in the top 10, 2002's Beautiful, 2006's Ain't No Other Man, and 2008's Keeps Getting Better. And her best showing in recent years was Not Myself Tonight, which made it to number 23. Lotus's first single, Your Body, peaked at number 34, and eight weeks after it was released, it's currently at 84. None of this is meant to pile on, mind you. It's simply repeating the facts. So why has Aguilera failed to replicate the dominance of fellow pop stars like Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Rihanna, or Beyonce? There are plenty of theories. The prevailing thoughts, whether real or imagined, that she's not as likable as Perry or Beyonce. That she doesn't work overtime to channel the same outsider spirit as Gaga and therefore isn't as relatable or simply that she hasn't been as smart with her career choices as someone like a Riri. Though I tend to believe each one of them are half-baked at best, perhaps the truth of the matter lies in her lack of single success, because it suggests that Aguilera is no longer a pop star, she's a niche artist. And that's not a slight. In her best moments, and I wish there were more of them on Lotus, 
She can outsing just about anybody. And as the recent crop of pop stars has proved, proved time and time again, well, singing isn't their primary concern. She still releases interesting stuff. I'm in the camp of folks who love your body and think that there are plenty of equal worthy follow-ups on the new album, like Make Your World Move or Sing For Me. And shoot, her backstory is, oh, I love saying, reading the word shoot. Her backstory is as compelling as they come. She is a loyal fan base, one that has thinned in recent years, but remains nonetheless. And she can still work with anyone she pleases and make the kinds of albums she wants. As far as niche artists go, Aguilera's got it pretty good. But I really think it's time for her to stop trying to compete with her contemporaries and embrace the uniqueness of her situation. I definitely think that Lotus was the first time in Christina Aguilera's career that her relevancy as one of the pillars of pop music was called into question. Because if you think about it, Bionic was seen as a misstep, right? It was this big, like, public misstep after all these, like, bullseyes fired or whatever. <laughs> um, but Lotus just hit different. And from what I gather, critics were upset by the fact that this album felt generic. In her previous work, even if she was doing or saying or wearing something that people didn't necessarily agree with, her artistry was always applauded no matter what. This album was the first time that her artistry was called into question. Like, even on Bionic, it was like a missed shot. Why do I keep using shooting analogies? But it was like a shot fired, she missed, and it wasn't like a bullseye, but it was like, you know, people appreciated that she put in the effort and that, you know, maybe one day the album would be known as this like ahead of its time situation. But I understand what the, the the writer of that article was saying with her trying to keep up with her contemporaries. This feels like an album that like somebody desperately needed to put out because they want to remain relevant. And that's up to that point. She had never really done that. Also, not to toot my own horn, but to toot because I do feel like my theory on single versus album importance was further proven to be true in 2013 because she appeared on Pitbull's Feel This Moment. Can we talk? Remember when people used to just like appear on Pitbull songs? Like what? Um, or Flowrider? Like what the hell? But anyway, she appeared on that song and that collaboration was massive. It was huge and super successful. Walmart and Walmart commercials and Target commercials, they all loved it. She also appeared on um, Say Something. And that was also hugely successful. I mean, who was like singing in a, 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 a TV competition and not performing Say Something? Nobody. That song also won a Grammy for Best Pop Duo. So it's like, you know, it's just wild. Like she can have this critically panned album that people hated, a single from the album that people loved, and she's embraced in this lane where she appears on songs with other people. But like her albums don't, sell anymore it's weird on valentine's day 2014 while pregnant with their future daughter christina and matt got engaged and she tweeted a photo of her ring with the caption he asked me and i said yes and if i'm not mistaken christina and matt have been engaged for seven years i think um i don't i don't believe they're married and i don't i don't i don't think that they have any plans on getting married and people report that it's because Christina is afraid to get married again and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, some people just don't care. Like some people, it's like once you have like the pomp and circumstance of a $2 million wedding with a disco room and fucking chicken and waffles and bedazzled 
branches all over the place or whatever. Maybe you just don't give a shit. The last part of this episode is going to be me literally just running down a list of um, things that I think are worth mentioning because why would we not mention the most recent things happening in her life? Even though they don't matter as much, if I'm being honest, but I'm a completionist, so I'm going to do it. Um, She took a reoccurring role on Nashville. She produced a game show with Matt Rutler on Spike TV. She did some work on the Netflix show, The Get Down, and she also appeared in the Emoji movie with every other celebrity who has ever lived. I do want to end the episode by talking about her most recent album and her residency. Um, In May of 2018, she released a song with Ty Dolla Sign called Accelerate that, you know, wasn't overwhelmingly successful, but, you know, it got decent reviews from critics. And from what I've read, it was praised for being experimental, and I think... I think at this point, that's what people want to see from Christina. They just want to see her do, you know, weird experimental shit and stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Like, nobody wants to see you put out, like, an EDM song about being on the dance floor. People like shock and weirdness from Christina Aguilera. Liberation was the first R&B, like, hip-hop heavy album Christina had released in a really long time. She also released Fall in Line, which was a collaboration with Demi Lovato. Um, This was a feminist anthem about what Christina Aguilera had experienced for over 20 years in the music industry. And um, same thing with Demi coming from the Disney machine. I thought the music video was so cool. I wish that there was more of a promotion rollout for that song because it was so cool. And it felt like, you know, people were excited to see it and there was like a lot of talk around it for a very short amount of time. That's the weird thing about this album I wrote in my notes. Like, the album came out, and I remember Christina going on a very traditional press cycle. If anything, maybe, like, one of her biggest press cycles in a long time, because she had done, you know, the traditional interview stuff, but then she also was, like, on YouTube a lot. She was on, like, Cosmo's YouTube page and Vanity Fair's YouTube page and BuzzFeed, and I know a lot of those... Uh, those outlets are owned by the same company for YouTube, but like she was really doing like the Gen Z press circuit, you know? And then all of a sudden it was like done. Like I swear she was releasing all these photo shoots and these, these like really amazing pictures and there was all this shit happening. And then it just sort of stopped happening. She did do a 21 stop tour that people absolutely loved. And I highly suggest you watch it on YouTube if you can find a high-quality version. It is really good. It's really amazing. The costumes are so good. The set list was incredible. Her voice was, I mean, fucking tip-top, 10 out of 10. So entertaining, so chic, would recommend. Um, And then from May of 2019 to March of 2020, she performed a Las Vegas residency called The Experiment that I also thought was really, really good. And ironically, this is so funny, but we're ending this Christina Aguilera journey where we started it. Because in 2019, she re-recorded an updated version of Reflection for the Mulan soundtrack. It's full circle. I love this. That was definitely a big moment. That was a huge moment, her releasing that song. People obviously lost their fucking shit. And it perfectly fit into what's you know, so popular right now, which is like throwbacks, you know what I mean? For her to remake her first song 
And it means so much more to me now, obviously, than it did before. Because it's like, I think that I had forgotten for my entire life that that was her first song. So, iconic. Um, And yeah, I mean, that leads us to, like, the end of our Christina journey. Because Lady Covadina showed up and kind of put everybody's plans to rest. I don't know what else to say. I mean, this was amazing. Thank you guys for being on this journey with me. Thank you for, like, allowing me to work through all of this weird teenage shit that I didn't realize I had bottled up. Thank you to Christina, who doesn't know that I did this, but thank you in spirit. Um, I feel much closer to you now than I did before. And, uh, yeah, I don't really know if I have anything else to say. Definitely... If you want more Christina content, I would say now would be a good time to subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash solid listen. Um, and I don't know, by the way, I never asked you guys to do this, but will you go fucking rate and review my podcast? I'd never bug you about that. Do you know what I mean? I know that the thing at the end, like I, I recorded that forever ago, but like I never like f- obsessively remind you to go uh, rate, review and do all the things, but you should go do that. I worked hard. I worked hard. I deserve it. I don't know. I love you. I'm going to go now. I'm really tired. So I want to go. But I love you. Um, Yeah, bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solid listen for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.